God's blessings to you. Happy Reformation Day, happy All Saints Day, and we are celebrating our 501st anniversary of the Reformation, and this is what Pastor Jonathan Mraz and myself have a conversation about in terms of the TLC podcast. What does it mean? Who is Martin Luther? What was he going through 501 years ago to actually have the kind of impact he has had on society so much that a religious institution, aka known as the Lutheran Church, came into existence. So Pastor Moraz explains that, but we also talk about life and how it has a tendency to march along and that scientific discoveries come about uh, and they are good they are made, but simple truths stay the same. And so we have a really good conversation about the balance between science and faith in this in this podcast. So I hope you'll tune in. I hope you'll enjoy. Let's get started with the TLC show. Great to be back on the TLC podcast with Pastor Jonathan Mraz. Pastor Mraz, how are you doing this week? I'm doing real well. Well, this is our take two. This is episode number two. So uh, this week, we're going to discuss the Reformation, which is pretty exciting. Sure. Uh, 501 years is this anniversary. Big 500 last year. Right, right. Did you think that the five centuries celebration did uh, what? Was it everything that you expected, or or you less? Well, it's uh, we're in a culture that doesn't recognize necessarily the great event that that was. Um, so you know, as didn't expect it to be necessarily noticed nationally, although there was some uh, acknowledgement of it, etc. Uh, but even in Germany, there was. Not necessarily a, a huge party, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Reformation itself is a historical event, but 500 years down the road, not everybody, uh, I think, appreciates it for what it really was. Absolutely, and we'll probably get into that a little bit further on in the discussion as to really the significant importance of the Reformation, but to put it mildly, there's really probably not a United States without the Reformation. There probably isn't right. this concept of religious liberty, religious freedom without the Reformation, and the list goes on. So it was a pretty significant event globally, significant. given you know just the concept of democratic states, and I'm sure that's not what Martin Luther intended when he did it. Just but a byproduct of what happened. Though. Exactly. So all right, what are we talking about? Something that happened in 1517, 500 plus years ago, by really an academic with a conscience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of, kind of, kind of. It depends so. which side of the fence you're on, because some will say, I mean, an academic with a conscience. Other will say uh, a rebellious priest that was kind of full of himself. So, mm-hmm. just depends. Absolutely. <laughs> who you're talking to. But for those who don't know, what happened 501 years ago? What was this all about? And what, what, was, the, 
what was the context? Because a lot of folks are listening to this on November 1st. We chose to release this this day for a reason because mm -hmm. that's All Saints Day. And also the night before is All Hallows Eve, Halloween. Mm -hmm. What it's today secularly was not what it was 501 years ago religiously. That's true. And also secularly um, because the religious and the secular were effectively one and the same. So yeah. take us back five centuries. What was going on? Uh, the All Hallowed Evening, the evening before uh, All Saints Day, uh, was uh, it was seen by the laity as a, an evening when uh, the condemned, damned, evil spirits were kind of let loose on the earth. Mm. The following day being All Saints Day, um, the observation, the celebration, the recognition of uh, those saints, those who have uh, um, passed with faith in the Lord, uh, granted eternal life. Uh, the evil ones were not allowed to uh, show their faces, so to speak. Uh, and so they had this kind of understanding that evil spirits would be roaming the earth at that time and um, that's where we get our ideas for instance of ghosts and goblins and etc uh, that we kind of morphed into uh, from all hallowed evening to Halloween. Gotcha. But it also was a religious festival of All Saints Day so there would be a it lot was. of people probably going to church on Absolutely. November 1st and October 31st, if you wanted to get, you know, the folks' attention, you probably would want to use that day if you wanted to give them an advance, a little heads up as to what was going to be happening on All Saints Day. Sure. So, what, did, what was Luther's All right, so mindset here? What was he trying to, trying to do? You know, I, I, for a time I served in a little town in Nebraska. And if you wanted to know what was happening in town, you went to the post office. And there was a bulletin board there, and I mean, you could find a babysitter, you could see when the next event was happening in town, you could see death notices, birth notices, etc. Um, no post office in uh, Wittenberg, Germany, hmm. but uh, there was a church, Castle Church. And Castle, the church was the one place where there was a uh, high likelihood that uh, people would come together and so it was also a place where it was very common to post notices etc. Um, some people believe the story to be somewhat apocryphal now but uh, the story is that uh, Martin Luther made his way across town to the castle church and posted on the door which was the bulletin board of the day mm -hmm. uh, 95 theses, 95 theses, statements that he desired to have the church discuss and uh, was not the act of a rebel, was not the act of someone who was um, acting contrary to the church at the time, but was within the normal bounds of, we'd like to have a discussion. There's some things that are happening, he says, uh, Martin Luther, that, that uh, I cannot find in scripture. Mm -hmm. And I'm concerned about being taught this and teaching this. 
And so we as church need to come together to make sure that we are preaching the pure word of God. Well, what gave Luther the desire or the motivation to do something like this? It clearly didn't come out of nowhere, and I'm not talking about the divine aspect of this. I'm talking about the practical aspect of this. Jim Heft is not going to run down to the city of Norfolk I don't know maybe, right, right. maybe I might um, and just say hey guys I got, I got all sorts of questions right. about what's going on well what what was Luther's background that enabled him to get away with this yeah, we'll kind of go back to to his uh, earlier in his life I mean he, he uh, one of the things he was preoccupied with and I would say it caused him great anxiety was um, death and judgment, the judgment of the eternal God. His uh, understanding, his perception, and actually what he'd been taught by the church of the day was that um, God was a judge, which he is, and uh, he was afraid he would not be able to stand up under the scrutiny. He was concerned about being imperfect. He perceived that God's expectations were for him to be perfect, and he knew he could not achieve it. He, uh, I mean, there were a couple of incidents I mentioned in a sermon this past Sunday, that there were a couple of incidents in his life uh, that, that just amplified this anxiety. He, he cut himself with his sword one day and, and bled so profusely that he feared he was going to die and it wasn't in this fear of death, it was the fear of judgment to come that caused him such, you know, terror. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, those kind of accidents, uh, events, um, he had one where, and of course this is the one that we kind of look at as we perceive to be one of the turning points where uh, he's going to school, he's on his way and a a pretty severe thunderstorm strikes Um, a bolt of lightning strikes extremely close to him close enough to actually physically knock him down Mm -hmm. and in his fear he does what any good churchgoer of the day would do he actually prays to a saint to save him and promises that um, if he is saved he will become a monk Mm -hmm. Uh, his father had actually gone to great pains to make sure that he got a good education and had designs on him becoming a lawyer. And uh, he, was, he actually was very uh, adept at this. He was, and Luther was a very intelligent man, but um, you know, this particular event helped move him out of law into uh, theology. Absolutely. It, it, sort of from a back, you know, to backpedal a little bit to talk about what the world was like as well. Remember that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. So we're we're talking about folks who still thought the earth was flat up until about 20 plus years, 25 years before Luther. Luther was born in 1483. Mm -hmm. So just nine years before Columbus. Right. This is one of the things I often tell the kids because it creates a historical place so that they know these are real events we're talking about. And there were things 
actual real historical events going on throughout the world. And the governance of that time was really focused on the Holy Roman Empire yes. with the Holy Roman Emperor, and in that case, it was Charles V, yeah, yeah. correct? Uh, and and you had um, the Pope, Pope Leo the I don't know the second. number. I'm, I, that's what I'm thinking, I think, too, think it but is. I'm not positive. But the bottom line is that we are not talking about Martin Luther in the context of Martin Luther, a Protestant or a Reformer. No. We're talking about Martin Luther in the context of an academic theologian under the Catholic traditions. Absolutely. Uh, and, and he is going to a Catholic church. He hosting, is serving a Catholic serving church, a Catholic as, church you know. as a pastor, so to speak, and so, priest. So, so this, this conversation that he's starting is within the organization known as the Catholic Church. It, it, this is not, That's you know, correct. some, some uh, yeah, again, his, his interfaith was dialogue. His to start some <laughs> um, new sect or something. It was just to bring the church back to center. And for Luther, center was scripture. So let's talk about this. We, we've, we've gotten to this concept of, of Luther and, and his protests. And I think, you know, if folks want to learn about the historical aspects of this, they can. And there's plenty of information out there. Maybe we'll post a couple of links that people can, can get more information about, about Martin Luther proper. Yes. What we want to talk about, though, is in the context of faith today and what, yes. what Luther was actually trying to accomplish with this conversation. So among those 95 theses and then what sort of has turned into what we call the Book of Concord, yes. there are all sorts of uh, ref reform statements that form the foundation of what we believe as Lutherans constitutes God's grace to us. That's a fancy. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a yeah. long question, but can you can you start to talk about the importance of his reforms and and what they mean to us as Christians today? Yeah, the, yeah we understand the people of the day were an un, uneducated lot. Uh, they were not going and reading the Bible for themselves. They were not. Where everything they knew about God came to them through the priests. Uh, and so, you know, some of the things that had been taught them over time, uh, the church had taken kind of a left turn off of uh, scripture alone, faith alone, etc., and uh, had incorporated into it uh, a lot of works righteousness. What does that and mean? What is works this is, righteousness? This is the idea that, um, well, the different versions, but... The idea that we somehow contribute to our own salvation. Mm. That, you know, one person might say, well, you know, God did 99.9% .9 of it, but we have to do whatever's left. Or, and that morphed into things like doing penance. Uh, so, you know, uh, you have transgressed, you've sinned, you need to do something on your part to prove to God that you're sorry for what you did that you, uh, and, and that you deserve to be forgiven. So, I mean, this is kind of how I usually put it. Two people 
commit the same offense. And the first person goes to, I'll say they're both male in this case, it goes to his clergy, who happens to be Roman Catholic priest of the day, and says, here's the offense I've committed. I know it's wrong. I'm sorry I did it. I repent of it. I want to be forgiven. And that Catholic priest of the day will say, according to what they believe, teach, and confess, appreciate your repentance, acknowledge it. Here's what you need to do. Go give money to the poor, or go say the Lord's Prayer so many times, or you know, go do some work of penance that's, that I will assign to you. And when that's done, and done well, God will forgive you. The other person, committing the exact same offense, goes to his respective clergy person, who we're going to say is not a Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, says, I committed this offense, I repent of it, I'm sorry, I, I want to make it. And that person will say, God forgives you. Now, you're free to go correct it however you wish, and the forgiven person's desire is to correct it to the best of their ability, but that comes as a result of being forgiven, not as a requirement to be forgiven. So how do we reconcile that scripturally? Because what is often cited for those who do believe that the individual has to conduct themselves appropriately right. uh, to, to repent uh, is from the book of James, James being the brother of Jesus, and the, the famous scripture being faith without works is dead. Correct. Faith causes works. Faith is not the result of works. So, faith without works, you say you have faith, I, you know, you have works, I say I have faith, let me see your faith, you know, this is the thing. Faith does things. We get the cause and the effect wrong. So, you know, it's not, I do A, B, C, and then I believe, or I do A, B, C, and then I'm forgiven, but it's, God gives me faith, and now, as a person of faith, I want to do A, B, C, or whatever it is. Uh, cause and effect. Though all good works, so for instance in Ephesians, it t- talks about uh, um, God preparing good works for us beforehand. But our good works are done after we've come to faith. And they're not done for us. Good works are always done for our neighbor. We have nothing that we could gain from God. We already have forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. What else do we need? <laughs> uh, what we have opportunity to do is go tell others about this. So one analogy that's used sometimes, uh, Luther spoke about it this way, you know, we are all beggars, right? If you're a a starving beggar 
and you come upon a, an unlimited supply of food, you would go tell other beggars, hey, here's food for all of us. There's nothing for us. It's here, right. free for the taking. You know, unless you're American, in which case you might charge for it. But <laughs> we're not Americans, we're Christians. Christians, In that sure. regard. <laughs> the thing about being a Lutheran that I think a lot of people struggle with is this fact that God's grace is so freely given and that yeah. the notion of having to do something, having to behave a certain way, having to, um, you know, follow the Ten Commandments, right, etc. Right. You, you know, you, we, there, there is still the expectation that that is done, but that's not what, what saves you. And I think that that, that people struggle Here's with one that. way I would talk about that. You know, they say grace is not free. It's not. One acronym that you can use for this grace word, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah. Somebody had to pay. What happened is Jesus did it for us. You know, God's, God's expectations are pretty clear in his word. Be perfect as I am perfect. Well, I mean, we started off broken, so it's pretty hard to be perfect. What we need is something to happen from outside of us. This is where Jesus works on our behalf. So the penalty for sin is death. We sinned. We have earned and deserved death. Jesus comes in in what Luther refers to as the great exchange and what I refer to as the worst business deal in history, hmm. and says, Jesus says, I will take your sin, and I will give you my perfection. And that's what he does. He takes our sin. He who knew no sin took sin upon himself and carried it to the cross and paid the penalty, which is the suffering of death, damnation. When he's on the cross, Jesus, he repeats actually, you look at it in the Bible, Psalm 22, opening words of that psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what eternal damnation really is, is having God's providence withdrawn from you entirely. That is hell. And so, Jesus suffered that on our behalf and gives us in its place the perfection. To circle back, to bring this into context about, you know, what, again, what we're talking about, why does that matter to us 501 years later? In other yeah. words, what, what was happening to people 501 years ago, and what does that message that you just spoke enable us to how to live our lives 501 years later. Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, it's, it's we're, we're the same broken creatures today as the people were back in Luther's day. Um, we might live in better homes. You know, we drive cars. They didn't have cars. 
we get to eat regularly, etc., etc. But those things that are really material blessing, uh, while God takes care of us that way, those are not the things that handle us eternally. And we have, we're in the same position as every other human ever born. Our confessions speak about in the Article 2 that every person born of natural birth, human father, human mother, has been conceived and born in sin. And sin separates us from God. So, you know, you might be the best guy, so to speak, in the world. Maybe you're very blessed in terms of you have all, you know, much wealth, you're a philanthropist, you're what, but those things don't earn you a spot in heaven. God may have gifted you with that. You might not even acknowledge that he exists, but believe me, if you haven't, God gifted it to you. And so, but, you know, those things are not the things that bring us to, to uh, heaven. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that brings us to heaven, it's not about Luther. No. Again, I say in, in the sermon last Sunday that uh, there was a study done in the, about the turn of the millennium, around the year 2000, and they just said, who are the, what, what human beings have affected humanity the most in the past 1,000 years? And there was quite a large study done. You get good and bad names, so you have uh, Karl Marx and Hitler, and you have Christopher Columbus and, you know, just uh, all kinds of people out there. Martin Luther showed up on the list. Mm -hmm. Second. First was John Gutenberg mm -hmm. with the printing press. Mm -hmm. And then second was Martin Luther and the Reformation. Um, but that, that doesn't make Luther a hero. No. It just means that because the Reformation isn't about Luther, it's about Jesus. Right. The recognition that we go back to Scripture, we go back to the Word, where it is, you know, the solas that we talk about in our uh, Lutheran tradition, only faith, sola fide, only the Word, Scripture, right? Only Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are the things. No dependency on anything else. No dependency on our words or actions. Uh, but faith in Jesus as our Savior and the trust that he has done everything that was needed for me to be saved. And we can talk in terms of the corporate, you know, us, we, other. But you know what's important? With Jesus, me. You. The individual. I said once, uh, if you were the only person that had ever lived on earth, Jesus would have died for you on the cross. Mm. And so, you know, when, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. I think that, that not to use a terrible metaphor, <laughs> uh, no pun intended, but it's going to sound, sound like it. But you certainly nailed it there, Pastor. Um, but but the, 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 the point that I was uh, thinking about making is the human psyche 501 years ago, there had to be such a tremendous amount of guilt and pressure and just yeah. outright hopelessness. Because the, they had, the people of that day had been taught so much, 
works righteousness, mm -hmm. then the the constant thought in their mind is, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've been good enough. I hope I prayed the right words. I hope I did the right things, etc. And I have to tell you that even in this day, and I have been at the side of many who passed this earth, and there have been a number who have said to me, I hope I've been good enough. And I told them, let me put your mind at rest. You have not. But Jesus has. That'll be a subject maybe that we can explore as we proceed, the concept of judgment, yes. you know, what, what judgment is. Because the Bible is pretty clear that there is a judgment, and it's pretty clear that Jesus is, is the judge. And I will tell you, in, my, in a previous career, I was in business, and there were any number of times that for different reasons, I had to go to court on behalf of the company I was with. And every time I looked forward to it, because I knew what the judge was going to say. He was going to say, you're innocent. <laughs> you know, people think of judge and they only think of condemnation. But judgment, there's two sides. Yeah. And so, you know, as a believer in Christ, as one who trusts in his work, um, it takes a lot of pressure off me. I don't have to do anything. Jesus has done it all. He's given me the faith to believe it. And faith holds on to it. It's my faith. He gave it to me. It holds on to it. So that regardless of what things I'm experiencing in this life, uh, whether I'm having the best life anybody ever had or it's the worst, it's still temporary. And we're talking about things eternal. And so, you know, I honestly, I look forward to that judge. Sure. Because he's going to say, innocent, come be with me. Back to that mindset question. You mentioned Gutenberg, mm -hmm. which when you talk about spreading ideas through yes. words and <clears throat> the ability of the individual to The printing press was quite a revolution. Amazing. We live in the days of Zuckerberg. Yeah. And social media. Social media and yeah. the spreading of, of ideas. And so while people may have had a sense of hopelessness from the notion of judgment 500 plus years ago, today there may be a sense of ambivalence. And what does it all mean? It doesn't mean anything anymore. There, yeah. we, we know so much scientific evidence about you know, the universe and uh, various theories and you know, how human beings are made biologically and uh, you know, what, what have you. So there is an ambivalence towards God. Sure. What it's does kind the of a natural, sinful default. So that, yes. that, that's, that's the question. What does the Reformation speak to us today in that level of mindset? Well, you know, just because you don't acknowledge something or don't recognize it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so, you know, God is pretty clear in his word. We all start behind the eight ball, so to speak. We all start dead. And, and uh, it's only through Christ 
that people are brought to faith in the first place. And only through Christ and the work of the Spirit that we stay in the faith. Um, and apathy runs rampant today. Uh, there quite is quite a uh, idea of live for today, tomorrow we die kind of stuff. And there's nothing out there, you know. Sadly, who was it that just passed? Uh, Hawk, Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty blunt in the fact he had no faith in a god. And, uh, you know, he's one of the smartest people that ever lived. But he died. He still died. Yeah. You know, science can do what they won't try. Now, I understand as a Christian that um, everything we do is always going to be, uh, on some level, interpreted by sin. We're, we're sinful creatures. Uh, you know, we want to uh, live forever. Well, that's not going to happen through our efforts. It might be able, you know, right now we're kind of at the point over my lifetime where we have extended life quite a few years. Mm-hmm. But what happened was quality of life went down. Now we're working on trying to maintain quality of life through some extended years. Uh, well, at some point, yeah. maybe we're going to understand what Noah and his his uh, his contemporaries understood, and be able to live a few centuries. Um, yeah. You know. Well, that, I think that was under God's design, and exactly. that is another subject I'd be interested in talking about. Some for point, sure. But. but I know that you're not talking uh, that that the pursuit of science and that looking at at things scientifically is a bad thing because science yeah. has given us such wonderful things. The fact that we're having this conversation uh, and reaching out to other people these. Uh, we're using scientific principles to do this, and sure. so you know God has given us minds. He's allowed us to, to do this, discover and use all kinds of things. I mean, it's, my wife's a nurse. There's yeah. a lot of medical advances that have been made over years. That are, it's just a question you know, of how we twist things sinfully. We by, have a tendency to um, abuse things quickly. So you know, <laughs> one one of the things about any gift that God gives us is that, uh, you know, we, we learn quickly how to turn it into uh, something sinful. <laughs> you know, I, I've been listening to Jordan Peterson, who is a psychologist and an author uh, from Canada, and he's gained quite a bit of popularity lately. But he, he came to a point about Adam and Eve that I thought was pretty spot on when Mm -hmm. I heard it. He said that when Adam and Eve sinned, the original sin, and discovered their nakedness, it wasn't necessarily that they discovered that they were naked in in a uh, a physical physical sense. It was that they discovered their vulnerabilities. And what human beings did do it's not when they recognize their own vulnerabilities, they recognize that that is a vulnerability in somebody else too. Yes. That they can use it for manipulative purposes. And I yeah. thought that that was just an incredibly excellent insight um, by, yeah. by Mr. Peterson, Dr. Peterson. Um, and it's really true, isn't it? We, we kind of pursue this idea of being at the top of the heap. And if we're unable to 
put ourselves at the top, we have a tendency to try to knock the top people down. Yeah. So no matter what that is, you know, you could be in junior high trying to make the football team or the cheerleading squad or whatever it happens to be. And, uh, you know, if you're not the best, maybe you're going to then start some undercutting of those people that are seen to be above you. Uh, as adults, we're no different. We do the same thing. And, uh, you know, and while I laud and, and am happy for the social media that exists, that allows me to, for instance, talk with my uh, two-and-a-half-year-old grandson in Phoenix every day, face-to-face -face on Facebook mm. or on FaceTime. Um, at the same time, we have a tendency, like I said, to take uh, whatever shortcomings we have are amplified by our ability to access right. these other media forms. Um, I, I, I listened to a guy once, he was talking about money. You know, is it a sin to have money? It's not a sin to have money. Somebody got money today. I woke up this morning and uh, on the day that we're actually recording this, um, and uh, somebody won $1.6 billion. Mm. And uh, what that money is going to do to them is just, you know, will they turn into a better person or whatever they were before, they will be only 1.6 billion times more. Right. So, you know, those are the kind of things we have to be aware of that, um, you know, those are the material gifts God gives us are not good or bad in and of themselves. Social media is a material gift. And mm -hmm. like I said, I'm happy for what I get to use it for, but uh, we, we sadly, we, yeah. bullies use it to bully, gossips use it to gossip, uh, liars use it to lie. That's human, just the way it's going to be. Human beings are, are human and it doesn't matter what age or context it is, whether it's the Reformation or whether it's today or whether it was, you know, two seconds after biting into the, the fruit yes. <laughs> of the tree of life. Yeah. Um, we, we are who we are. And so, Pastor, it's just been a fantastic conversation. Again, two for two. Yeah. Nice job. Um, would you Would you close us out in yeah. a word of prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for uh, this particular technology that you have allowed us to uh, understand and use, that uh, we have an opportunity to speak the truth about you to others. We ask that the, and pray that the conversation that's taken place today is pleasing to you and tells the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for uh, the Reformation that you generated through uh, Martin Luther and the other reformers of the day that uh, have brought the gospel back to front and center. And we pray that you give us opportunity to tell others about you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the TLC show, which is a product of Trinity Lutheran Church at 6001 Granby Street in Norfolk, Virginia. Come worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We also have Bible studies at 9 in the morning. So come find us on Sunday. We're here. God's blessings to all of you. Take care.